was going to be. Well, good morning. Uh, you know, as Adam mentioned to you that uh, I am Ron. I'm one of the uh, church elders here at Christ Fellowship, but I'm not the main preaching elder. Uh, actually, uh, that would be Peter Hess. Uh, and I preach only on occasion uh, when uh, Peter is out of town like today. Now, I make a point of telling you that so that you will be motivated to return next Sunday to hear Peter as he continues preaching expositionally, verse by verse, through the book of 1 Peter. Now, you won't want to miss out on that. Uh, so far, just in the 13 verses of 1 Peter, we have looked at the living hope made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how we can endure trials that come our way, the great privileges that we have from God as believers, the importance of setting our hope on the grace of God, and much more to come next Sunday. But today, we're going to be looking at another section of Scripture, but one that goes along very well with what we have been learning in 1 Peter, providing us additional insight and application concerning the living hope God has for us. Our verses this morning will come from the book of Philippians, calling us to strain forward to the prize of the upward call in God, in Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you today, please open them with me uh, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Now, before we actually get to those verses, we have some important background information to see on Philippians and its author. From Philippians 1.1, we see that this letter was written to the saints living in the city of Philippi, which was located what is now the northeastern portion of Greece, fairly close to the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the word here, saints, does not mean persons of exceptional holiness. This word refers to believers, those who have put their faith in Christ. Actually, you're not likely to find anyone here this morning who believes they are exceptionally holy or even just better than others because simply we are not. Those of us who are here have nothing to brag about apart from God's grace and blessing upon us. So anyway, this letter was written to the believers, and it was written by the Apostle Paul, who identified himself as a servant of Christ. Paul wrote Philippians somewhere around A.D. 62, while in prison, probably in a Roman prison, in prison for preaching the resurrection and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, from the book of Acts, chapter 16, we know that Paul visited Philippi some years earlier during his second missionary journey. Uh, it was there that Paul met and shared the gospel with Lydia, a businesswoman, a seller of purple goods or seller of purple fabrics, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to the gospel, and she, along with her entire household, believed and were baptized. It was also there in Philippi that Paul cast out a demon 
from a fortune-telling slave girl and as a result was uh, thrown into jail along with his traveling companion Silas. They were thrown into jail by the slave girl's owners after seeing their fortune-telling income had been lost. No demon, no fortune-telling. And it was there in Philippi that Paul and Silas, while in prison, were praying and singing hymns to God with all the other prisoners listening with them when a great earthquake occurred and miraculously all the prisoners' chains were loosened and the prison doors were opened. And when the jailer saw what had happened and assumed the prisoners had escaped and prepared to kill himself knowing what the consequences would be, Paul called out, stop. We are all here. Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners were still there. Paul then explained God's plan of salvation, the gospel, to the jailer, and as a result, the jailer and his entire family also believed and were baptized. Now, the Holy Spirit was certainly at work uh, that evening. Can you just imagine what the prayer and praise time at that jail must have been like? So anyway, Paul and Silas were released the next day, visited a bit more with Lydia and the other believers, and eventually moved on to other towns. So now, getting back to the book of Philippians, we see Paul again some years later now, again back in prison, again in prison for preaching the gospel, and Paul was writing to the believers at Philippi to encourage them in their faith and to encourage us here this morning in our faith as well. Now, Paul starts off his letter by offering thanks to God for the Philippians and for their participation in the gospel, knowing that God would complete the good work that the Lord had begun in the Philippian believers. Now then in chapter 3, Paul lists a number of his personal accomplishments that he had previously put his hope and confidence in. Now I will list some of those accomplishments a bit later, but Paul then went on to explain how he had come to count those accomplishments as loss in light of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And not only did he count them as loss, but as rubbish, rubbish that needed to be put away in order to gain Christ. Now, I do realize that was a lengthy introduction, but an important one to understand Paul's focus in life as it relates to what we are going to be looking at next in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So if you would, if you would please stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read from it. I will actually start with verse 8 to help with the context. And I'm reading from the ESV. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Verse 
righteousness from the gospel that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And now uh, here at verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Please be seated. There is so much that can be said about these three verses, but today I only have one main point to offer for your consideration, and that is the Christian life should not be static, but it should be dynamic. Where static is defined right out of Webster's Dictionary as a lack in movement, action, or change, especially in a way viewed as undesirable. And where dynamic is defined as a process characterized by constant change, activity, or progress. You know, in, in writing fiction, authors employ a technique of making their characters either static or dynamic. A static character is one who does not undergo any significant change in character, personality, or perspective over the course of the story. Sherlock Holmes is an example of a static character. He never changes in his witty, confident attitude or in any other characteristic, for that matter. He does not change throughout his crime-solving adventures. A dynamic character, on the other hand, say like Ebenezer Scrooge of The Christmas Carol, undergoes change or transition. You know, unfortunately for... Scrooge, even though his change was quite dramatic, it was just secular in nature, but you get my meaning here. As we look at these verses in Philippians, we should see that while it is okay for characters like Sherlock Holmes to be static, we Christians should strive to be dynamic, dynamic in a Christ-focused way. So under this one main point, of static versus dynamic, I have four sub-points of application. You don't need to write down real quickly these because they'll be coming up on the screen later. Uh, first point is be content in the Lord, but not in what we have achieved or even in the past grace that allowed us to achieve those things. Two, make God's purpose our purpose. Three, forget what holds us back and four, strain forward to what lies ahead. So let's see if these thoughts hold up against Scripture. So application point one, be content in the Lord, but not in what we have achieved or in past grace. Now reading again verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. 
the first thing we see here is there's some condition or state of being that Paul feels he had not obtained. Now, even though we would probably consider Paul's walk with the Lord quite amazing, Paul was not content to rest just where he was. This is very important. And what was he referring to in having not obtained? Well, right before verse 12, Paul said he had not obtained the resurrection of the dead, where he was referring to the joy and blessing of being in heaven with Christ. Now, that certainly goes along with Paul said earlier in Philippians, Philippians 1, verse 23, you don't need to go there, but uh, he said, for my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But here in chapter 3, Paul seems to be referring to something different, and it has to do with Paul's claim of not being perfect. Now, if we consider the meaning of perfect only as being entirely without fault or defect, we probably wouldn't think much about what Paul said here. After all, you know, who's without fault or defect? But the Greek word from which perfect is translated offers a broader definition. And that word is teleos. And it means having reached its end or being complete or finished. In this context, Paul is saying that he was not complete or finished as a believer, even in context with his life here on earth. There was more for Paul. So we see under this first point of application that Paul was not content in just remaining as he was as far as Christian growth was concerned. Now, but if we look at elsewhere in Scripture, we would see that Paul was very content in another way. For example, jumping ahead to chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 10 through 13, and again, don't go there because we're going to come right back. Paul was speaking about some help or gift the Philippians had sent him when he said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and remember Paul was speaking of this contentment while in a Roman prison you know so to summarize this first point be content in the Lord but not in our present accomplishment or level of Christian maturity do not be static or do not be stagnant in our walk with the Lord now, reading further in verse 12 and addressing the next application point, Paul says he was pressing on to make it, whatever it was, he was making it his own, and he was doing so because Christ Jesus had made Paul his own, Christ's own. Now, thinking about these words in light of Paul's conversion years earlier, should help us understand their meaning and significance. 
Saul, as Paul was called before his conversion, was traveling about zealously persecuting Christians, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord when God stopped him on the road to Damascus and chose Paul for something else, to be an instrument of God to carry the Lord's name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And Paul obeyed. So here in Philippians, when Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, Paul is saying that God chose him and that God chose him with a vision and purpose in mind. And because of that, Paul chose God's vision and purpose to be his own purpose in life as well. And Paul was pressing on toward that purpose. Now, as a side note, but a very important one, Paul was not pressing on in order to earn God's favor. For no matter how hard Paul could have tried, he could have never earned God's favor through his own efforts, and neither can we. God's favor comes to us through God's saving grace by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul chose to do God's purpose, to press on to his purpose, not to earn God's favor, but because God had chosen him and Paul loved God. Adding to these thoughts, one commentator wrote it like this, every man and woman is grasped by Christ for some purpose. Every man and woman is a dream of Jesus, and every man must all his life press on so that he may grasp and realize that dream and that purpose for which Christ grasped him. Every believer, including us here today, is called by God for a purpose, and we ought to demonstrate our love of God by pressing on in light of God's purpose for our lives. This is the best way we can love God, and this is the best way we can worship God. Now, moving on to verse 13, Paul starts off repeating himself a bit. He keeps talking about pressing on. He keeps talking about being dynamic, moving on, progress. You know, that's this theme throughout these verses. Anyway, Paul starts off uh, again, and he says these words, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, or slipping in the a New American Standard translation just a bit. I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So application point three is forgetting what lies behind. Now, forgetting does not just mean failing to remember, like, you know, where did I put my glasses? It means uh, to put something out of one's mind or to cease to think of or consider something. Now, there are some things, obviously, as Christians, we should definitely not forget. Clearly, we should not forget how God has blessed us and sustained us through the abundance of his grace and mercy because remembering those things help us in the exercise 
of constant repentance and thankfulness to God. But on the other hand here, Paul said there were things, at least in his life, that he needed to put out of his mind. The worldly accomplishments I alluded to earlier. From uh, chapter 3, verse 4, a little bit before where we are now, Paul says, If anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee considered righteous and even blameless under the law. Now, some of those things could be okay, but relying on any of those things as a measure of our worthiness or achievement would have held Paul back. Paul counted those things as rubbish and had put them away in order to gain Christ. For us, there may also be things that we need to put out of our mind. If they, if they keep us content and not pressing forward, like maybe having some prominent position in the church or, or maybe having become an accomplished Bible teacher uh, or heading up some ministry, or maybe just having been a believer for a good number of years. Focusing on these sort of things may tend to help keep us content where we are and hold us back in striving forward in our walk with the Lord, striving forward to the calling that the Lord has for us. Now, there's another thing that thinking about can hold us back on, focusing on past sin or failure can hold us back. Now think about that in light of Paul before he became a Christian. Acts 3, uh, Acts verse 3 of chapter 8, Paul, Saul, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Think about how dwelling on these could have devastated Paul in guilt. But God forgave Paul of those things, just as God has forgiven all of us, all of us who have put our faith in him. So summarizing the first three points, we need to avoid being content with not growing in Christ-likeness. And we need to make God's plans our plans. And we need to forget what lies behind. Then comes point four. We need to strain forward to what lies ahead. There are a number of verses that speak of this, and I could do no better than just to read them. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the price? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive perishable a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So do not run aimlessly. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And in Philippians 3, we've been reading these verses just to summarize them. Verse 12, Paul presses on to make God's purpose Paul's purpose. Paul strains forward to what lies ahead. Paul presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what is that goal or prize? It's the fullness of blessings and reward in the age to come, most especially being in perfect fellowship with Christ Jesus forever. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our goal and our prize is more also a more and full and enjoyable here on earth. John 10.10 says, Jesus came that I may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, a Christian who is growing in the Lord has more joy, has a greater witness, has a greater appreciation of God's word, has a deeper prayer life, has a greater assurance of salvation. And if you have ever been in a period of non-growth as a Christian, as I have, then you will likely see these things a lot less. The change is dramatic. So the race toward the goal of the prize is now. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are a brand new believer, have just come out of a dry period in life, or have been growing as a Christian for many years, we are all called to the same race. And you can't be in that race as a static Christian, but you must be a dynamic Christian in motion, in progress, pressing forward to God's plan. But we can take comfort also in knowing that we have divine resources to do this because we can't do this on our own. Uh, just to name a few, we have the righteousness of God. You know, find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We have the power of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We have the fellowship of Christ, 1 John chapter 1. And we also have the power of the gospel. You know, this word gospel has been mentioned all through this morning from, from Josiah's opening prayer to Adam's prayer to what we see from Paul, the gospel. So what is the gospel? And what is the power that comes from it? First, God is a good and holy God who created us to love and serve and have fellowship with him and to be a reflection of his character. But because of our rebellious nature and by our rebellious choices, we have turned from God. We have rejected and ignored or shown indifference to God. And this is what the Bible calls sin. The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we cannot earn our own way back to him. And that the penalty of our sin is death, you know, eternal separation from God. 
But God, still loving us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a man to live a perfect and holy life, to be sacrificed on the cross and be raised from the dead, all so that we might be saved from our sins and made right with God and have our fellowship restored with God. And all we need to receive this free gift from God of salvation is to believe, putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and to repent, which means to turn away from our old life. Now, this is where the journey begins with the gospel. And this is what the focus is throughout our pressing on uh, to God's plan. And uh, I just also uh, wanted to read a quote that kind of summarizes this last point here. And it's from J.C. Ryle in his book, The Holiness. The man whose soul is, gro- soul is growing gets more dominion over sin, the world, and the devil every year. He becomes more careful about his tempter, his words, and his actions. He is more watchful over his conduct in every relation of life. He strives more to be conformed to the image of Christ in all things and to follow him as his example, as we to trust in him as a savior. He is not content with old attainments and former grace. He forgets the things that are behind and reaches forth to those things which are before, making higher, upward, forward, onward, his continual motto. Higher, upward, forward, onward, as his continuing motto.